Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we're joined by yet another special guest, Rich Ferreira, the general manager of GTI Tours. His message takes us to the Sea of Galilee and explores a story from the life of Jesus that Pastor Tim and the team which is currently in Israel will be studying virtually at the same time. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Rich and experience yet another story from the life of Jesus. Well, good morning. It's not every day you get an introduction from somebody from over in Israel, so that makes it quite nice. Uh, my name's Rich. I am, yeah, I, I work over at GTI Tours, uh, but today I get to bring God's word to you, so that's really the most important piece of it. The area that Tim was standing on, I mean, he's overlooking the Galilee. 90% of Jesus' teachings and miracles happened right there. I mean, so that's a pretty important spot that they are making their way through and they're teaching and getting a chance to open their Bible in the context of the places where it happened. So this morning, I'm going to try to take you to the place that they were teaching at today so that you can have a little bit of a connection of what they're doing over there. But first, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, I am originally a Californian. I moved to Michigan six years ago, and my family and I live here uh, in Hudsonville area, so we're just down the street a little bit. And it's fun. I've got four kids. We get to travel quite a bit because of the the business that I'm in, and so we just actually got back from Jordan just recently, and these are my kids, so I've got a 16-year-old named Ellie, a 14-year-old named Jaron, uh, almost 11-year-old, he turns 11 like tomorrow, uh, Ronan, and then my daughter, Carmel, who's seven, so a busy little family, and it's fun because we get to go on biblical trips, so this is us just over spring break, we are over in Jordan. And it was a really just a great time of taking my kids through and showing them the biblical lands and giving a chance to open the Bible with them. So as we get ready to start, I thought it'd be kind of fun to kind of throw you into the Bible context with a short little video. So Israel is an amazing land. And, and again, as we step into the text here, we have to realize that the God places the story in a specific spot. And so this next little slide right here, it kind of shows you out of all the places where the storyline that God could have brought forward of his son, he places it in this tiny, tiny little place that we call Israel. And as you dig into Israel a little bit more, it's one of the things that my friends who live there always laugh about. Every other place around it has natural resources such as oil and all these great things. Israel's got nothing. It's this little tiny sliver of land, but it is a land bridge between all these other places. And so all these nations, Egypt, Assyria, from time beginning, it has always been a contested space because everyone wanted to own it because it is how you travel back and forth. And so God places Jesus right there. He brings the nation of Israel together and puts Jesus in this spot, which is the road between everything. And as, as we watch the gospel spread, it makes complete sense because if you put Jesus in the story of the gospel right there, it spreads to the entire world. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look into a story because I know you guys have been going through Matthew. And so we're going to jump into Mark because it'll be some of the stories that you've already 
been kind of studying a little bit. And we're going to look at Mark's perspective on that. And that is what they are teaching, what Tim is teaching today over in Israel. So we're going to go into Mark chapter 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, that's where we will be jumping in today and what we will be studying. So let me start us up by reading and then we will walk our way through. It says here in Mark chapter 4 verses 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, they got into a boat and sailed, uh, sat, uh, sat in it out on the lake while the people were along the shore. All the um, while he taught them many things by parables in his teaching and he began to teach them. So here's Jesus. He comes to this area, and I'm going to show you a little bit of a, a picture here. That first red dot at the top, that's Tabga, Capernaum area. So Jesus is sitting in this region right there. And it says that people are gathering around him, so much so that it's pushing him towards the water. So he finds some guys with a boat and says, hey, can I sit in your boat? And they say, sure. And he begins to teach all day long. And as he's teaching them, he's teaching some of the most known parables that we know in our Bible. So if we look at chapter 4, we'll see like the parable of a lamp on a stand, the parable of the growing of the seed, the parable of the mustard seed. All of these are happening right here in this moment while Jesus is sitting in a boat. Then, verse 35, that day when evening came, so it's been all day, he's been teaching them for quite some time, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was already in the boat. So what we're going to see is they're going to cross from where that top red dot is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee over to this section over here, which is called the Decapolis, or a place called Hippos. And what the Decapolis is, as we go into our next slide right here, you're going to see is that Israel was divided up into a lot of places. So when King Herod was controlling it, and we know King Herod as King Herod the Great, he had control over most of the region. Yet, the real person in charge was Rome. And so what Rome did was they came in and they made all of these Roman cities right alongside of Judea or the uh, area that Herod the Great controlled. And so you had Philadelphia, which is modern-day Amman. You had, can we go back to the other slide still? You've got Gressa, Pela, you've got Hippos, you've got another place um, down below called Scythopolis. And so you had these 10 cities in this region that were controlled by the Romans the entire time. And so this is what we have is right across the lake in the Sea of Galilee, you end up with these Roman cities. And so our next picture here is a picture of a place called Jerash. And so Jerash was one of the 10 Decapolis cities. And so Jesus has this idea, and he says to the guys, hey, let's take the boat, and let's go across to the other side. This is not the Jewish land at all. This is the Gentile land. And a lot of scholars would say that the storyline of the parable of the prodigal son who leaves his home, and he goes off and sells off all of his things and spends his money in a far-off area, it's probably just the other side of the lake. It's probably just in this Decapolis region. So Jesus says, let's go. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was with them in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, the reason for this is we've got a picture here of a boat. And I always love to show people as we go into the land, when they think of boats, they think of these giant, huge, big boats. But they're tiny, little ones. And one of the biggest issues is if you think about Israel, they're lacking a natural resource. And it's called wood. 
So it's really hard to build boats. And so this particular one is from the first century that they found. It was buried in the Sea of Galilee down in the mud. And then when the water levels due to a drought dropped, it was found. And they pulled it up. And it's made out of 21 different types of wood that they kind of all put together. But you can see it's very, very small. Our next picture is a replica of the exact same boat to try to give you a perspective. And if we go one more, you'll get one from a distance. And you can see they're not very big. So when the gospel, Mark, tells us, yeah, they were sitting there in a boat and they went across and there were multiple boats, it makes sense because you could probably fit four to six people per boat. And so if all the disciples were gonna go, there would be many of them. And so Mark gives us that thought here. He said he's gonna leave with the disciples and they're gonna go in a boat across the side. Now you gotta understand what are the, what's the context here? What are these guys feeling The disciples, well, the first thing is we don't go to the other side. That's not something we do. We're fishermen. We stay over here on the side that is the Jewish side. We stay on our side. We don't go over there because that's where the pagans live. And Jesus just kind of nonchalantly is like, I've been speaking all day long. Let's go to the other side. Maybe they had like better hummus over there. I don't know. He wanted to go to the other side and he wanted to take the disciples over there. But you got to love this because the guy's tired. And so it says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. It's the best right there. Jesus is just asleep. I used to think, you know, with these boats that he's like down underneath. You, he didn't really know what was going on. Well, he's sitting right on the top. You can see how small these things are. There's not an under part of the deck. And he's laying on a nice little cushion, Right. And he's asleep. And this thing is about to swamp and it's about to like sink. I've been to Israel multiple times when the Sea of Galilee, which is not a huge big lake, begins to get windy on it. And all of a sudden you get these big waves. It's crazy. One of the great moments just now is that uh, Tim sends me a text from this morning. He's like, Rich, you will not believe what the lake looks like. And he sent me a video of it and full on white caps and like 10 foot breakers they were just crashing over the hotel sides of the hotels that are right there on the water. So he's getting a good perspective right now of how bad it can get there. And so Jesus is there. And so I kind of wonder when I get to heaven, I want to ask this question. Jesus, were you really asleep? Or were you doing what I do with my four kids? It's like I'm laying there and I got one eye open, one eye closed, and I just want to see what they're going to do. And so they're, they're getting nervous. They're getting, getting crazy. They're trying to bail the water out. The water's coming in. And finally, they go to Jesus who's asleep, and they wake him up and listen to what they say. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's a moment of desperation. Jesus, we shouldn't go to the other side of the lake. That's the pagan side. And now look what's happening. We're crossing this area in Jewish culture known as the abyss. The underworld, underneath the lake, this is where in Job and some other writings of the Old Testament, we hear about things like the Leviathan. This is an unknown place. This is the place of the dead, the spirits. We don't cross this lake. We don't go to the other side. And look what's happening, Jesus. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet and be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That hurts a little bit right there. Like if you've been following Jesus for a little bit, 
or getting to know him, and all of a sudden you're told, like, hey, you have no clue who I am or what I'm about. And they were terrified and even asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. These guys are fishermen. They make their living on the water. They understand the waves, the wind, and how this whole thing works. They've never seen anything like this. They look at each other. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, I can answer for you, disciples. And I know it's easy for me to answer because I'm looking at the story from a bigger perspective from years later. It's God. They're getting to know who he is. They're still unsure And Jesus shows his power in this moment. Now they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came running towards them from the tomb. So if we go to our next picture, I'm going to show you where they ended up at. This is called Hippos or Susita. Um, In Greek, Hippos means horse. And Sus in in, uh, Hebrew is horse. So this is Horseville. And this was a Roman garrison. It became a giant Roman city. And they had horses and chariots here. And it it looked like Rome. It was big. It had pillars. And our next photo here shows this, that there's pillars. And it it was amazing. Running water, all the things you could want in Rome, they put it here in one of these cities. And so this is where Jesus is heading to, across the lake. You could see this from the other side. There were temples. There were buildings. They were built out of marble. And they were up on the very top of this mountain because this is built on a mountain and they would shimmer in the light and it's said by Josephus and other scholars that you could see it from the other side from the place where Jesus and his disciples were and so they're making their way here and the moment they get there it says that the moment that Jesus gets out of the boat doesn't say that the disciples did the moment that Jesus gets out of the boat this demoniac, this person shows up Now, for sake of the story, I'm going to make a name up right now. And so I apologize because every time I do this, there's somebody in the audience who's probably name is this. So nothing against you. But we need a name just so we can work with this. We're going to call him Larry. So to all the Larrys out there, I'm sorry. So Jesus shows up and here's Larry. Kind of crazy Larry as we're going to know him. He's, He's known by everybody in the Decapolis area as a person who has been tormented. Demons living inside him. And look at what it says here as it's described of him. It says that, that he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself. This guy is an outcast of the area. You've got the city that's up on the hill, and it says that Jesus encounters this guy down at the water's edge in the area where they keep the tombs, in the outside part of the city. This crazy person shows up who is not in his right mind. He's in a, in a state of demons possession. It doesn't even say that the disciples get out of the boat. It's the moment that Jesus gets there that Jesus encounters him. But look what he says. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? A couple minutes later or 30 minutes earlier as they're crossing the lake and he calms the storm, the disciples don't know who, they're like, who is this? He gets off of the shore here and a demon-possessed man knows exactly who he is. He's a son of the, the utmost high God. 
He says, swear to God that you will not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him this question, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Again, Mark is telling this story differently than Matthew, and that's a whole other discussion for another time. But Mark's story and account is about how Jesus shows up to a Roman-populated area. He's dealing with a demon-possessed man, and he says, what is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion. Well, what is Legion? Legion is a terminology of the Roman army, referencing that there are a lot of demons that are involved here. And so we get this kind of storyline about Jesus and Rome happening here. Like, Jesus is coming, and it's not just a demoniac that he's dealing with. He's dealing with Rome, and what will happen in this moment? Is Jesus more powerful than Rome? Is Jesus more powerful than all these demons? He could stop the wind and calm the sea, but what will he do here? And Mark wants us to see exactly what he's going to do here. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them, the demons, out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and they went into the pigs. So this is an interesting kind of side note as we sit here. Pigs, lots of them. You're not going to find those over in the Jewish side on the other side of the lake because a pig is unclean. It's unkosher. But over on this side, we know that there is a flock of over 2,000 or a herd of over 2,000 of these pigs. So we're not talking a few. We're talking a lot. Many. Now, what could they be there for? Well, there's a couple of different options. Option number one is that um, we've, got a, we've got the people who live over there. They might eat them. Okay, that's an option. Option number two is that we've got the Roman army that's there. Their actual insignia on this particular part of the army that's there is a boar's head. So maybe they're there because it's part of the army. More likely, it's going to be the fact that you've got a temple to Dionysus, a big one, sitting on top of this hill. And this is what they use as for ritual sacrifice. And so you would sacrifice pigs just as they would sacrifice a lamb up in Jerusalem the Romans would sacrifice pigs to Dionysus. It was what they did as a sacrifice to their God. So no matter what it is, you've got a whole lot of pigs there. So this is a big industry. And so Jesus says, sure, you can go into the pigs. And what do the pigs do? They run straight from where they're at down into the lake and drown themselves. From a Jewish perspective, again, exactly. The demons are going back to where they came from. From another perspective, Jesus just got rid of potentially an entire setup for worship of pagan, pagan gods in one shot. Whatever it is, industry, money, things have been disrupted, and people aren't very happy about it. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this into the town in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I forgot to mention that this, naked guy, this guy was naked running around towards Jesus. Those who had seen it told the other people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told them about what happened to the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. 
You see what's happening here? It's like Jesus comes in. Here's a guy who's been tormented his entire life. He's been an outcast of society. Everybody probably knew about him. They told their kids to stay away from him. He's been pushed out of the town. He's living amongst the tombs. Jesus shows up. Jesus heals the guy. He's now no longer naked. Now he's cleaned up. He's in his right mind. People come back and see that. They knew who this guy is. They're amazed probably by the fact that he's changed. But what do they do? They level it kind of out. He's changed, but all the pigs have been killed. Jesus, please leave. You've caused problems here. And so a little side thing I want to say to us that I think is a takeaway in this part of the, the scripture passage is that sometimes when Jesus comes on the scene, when he brings the, the healing power of what he's going to do in our world, sometimes it disrupts the world. And will you be like the people who were taking care of the pigs where you're more concerned about that than about what God's doing? And I have to self-check that often because there's so many times where I'm like, Lord, that's really great that you did that, but that really messed up my plans. And I think that this is a good moment right here just to see that, to be like, you know what? It's time to keep our minds open that when God's moving, it's not about my plans, it's about what God's doing. It's about God's plans. And can we get past that even when it kind of disrupts some things in our world. And so they tell him to leave. And what does Jesus do? Does he get there and does he give a big sermon? Does he tell them, no, they're wrong, he shouldn't leave? He says, okay. And he hops right back in the boat. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, please, let me go with you. You've just changed my life. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, so the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This critical moment, right? Can I come with you? No, stay here. Go tell people what, what I've done in your life. But I don't have any training. That's okay. But I haven't been to school. I haven't, I haven't been around you long enough. You've got enough. Go tell people. And he gets in the boat, and he goes back to the other side. I'd love to hear from the disciples in this moment if they had, like, their, their Twitter account or whatever out, and they're, like, they're writing to their friends, and they go, long day. Like, someone's like, how was your day? Long day. Started off in the morning, sitting there with Jesus. Then he wanted to go to the other side. We told him we shouldn't. We go, we almost drown. He still insists on going. We get over to the other side. Crazy guy shows up. Jesus casts out some demons. We come home. <laughs> but not only did we come home, it says this as we came home. And when Jesus had come across back to the other side by the boat, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd was still waiting there while he was gone. Then one of the rulers from the synagogue came Basically, he's going to go heal one of the synagogue leader's daughter. This is Jairus. If you remember that story, his daughter's dead. He's going to go heal him. So all these people that they left are still there because they're like, well, he's got to come back. And so they come back from this whole thing, and they're all there. And then Jesus just starts healing people there. Long day. What was the point of us going all the way to the other side to come all the way back? And they move on. 
And so many things happen. Mark just takes us. It's like this like fast, like moving narrative of all these things happening. And we get the Jairus' daughter is healed. And then if we skip to the next chapter, we get Jesus sending out the 12. And then John the Baptist is killed. And then Jesus feeds the 5,000. I mean, we're talking about lots of things happening. And then there's Jesus walking on water. But really interesting coming out of chapter 7 is that we get this. It says this. After all these things happen, it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went down through Sidon and down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. We don't hear about Jesus going to the Decapolis in the, in the narrative of the New Testament only but twice. First time, we just saw it. Went over, came right back. Second time, he's sitting up in modern-day Lebanon teaching and healing makes his way back down to the Sea of Galilee, and it says he goes to the Decapolis. Then he goes over to the Decapolis, and again, one of my favorite stories that we don't have time for. There's a mute guy there who's deaf, and what does Jesus do? He sticks his hands in the guy's, like, into his ears, and then he spits on his, like, hand, and then sticks it in the guy's mouth. It's fantastic. Like, what a great story. And then the guy's healed. I, I love how all of this goes down. Another time, another story is that we can dive into in the Bible. But right after that, it says that during those days in the Decapolis, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. Friends, we're about to get the story of the feeding of the 4,000. 5,000, right? It happens over on the Jewish side. You'd expect it. Feeding of the 4,000? Happens in the Decapolis. Last time Jesus was there, one guy, no one wants to see him. Please leave. You ruined our world. The pigs, the whole deal. Go home. He comes back a couple chapters later, and there are over 4,000 people there. And Jesus has compassion on them as well. And they're going to be fed. And I can't tell you this to be the full truth because it's not right here in the Bible, but I I have this this feeling that when I get to heaven, I want to ask this question of what happened there. And I can imagine this storyline of Jesus up there teaching 4,000 people there to hear him from the Decapolis who are majority probably pagans, pagan people who are not Jewish. And Jesus is looking out as he's teaching and he catches his eye with one guy in the corner. It's crazy Larry, he's not so crazy anymore, except for that he's like crazy telling everybody about Jesus. And he looks and he's like, Jesus, I brought some friends. These are the things I love about the text. Mark leaves us in this quandary of like, why did all these people show up? Well, he leaves it to the people to sit there and go, well, I'll tell you why. Like, look at the story of what happened. Someone goes and tells the Decapolis. And when Jesus comes back, they want to know about it. So friends, I think the teaching I want to leave you with today is that your story matters. You know, there's so many times in life that I think we feel these moments where we go, I don't know enough. I'm not, you know, I don't know as much as the pastors. I don't know as much as the elders, the deacons. I don't know as much as the teachers over here. It doesn't matter. If God's moving in your life and God has changed you, That's powerful. Live it out in the world that you live in, whether it's where we work, 
whether it's the places we shop, whether it's the sports, my kids are on Little League right now, whether it's Little League, all of these places that we're at, are we living out the fact that we are transformed because God has changed our lives? It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think that's the point here. And I think a lot of it is for the disciples. The disciples are going, what a waste. And Jesus is like, you got no clue what I got planned. You have no clue what the power of a transformed life can do. And the truth of that is huge because as we look at the disciples after Jesus goes, they change the world as they go out and tell people about Jesus. And that's what we've been commissioned with as well, the Great Commission. We talked about that this morning. That's what this baptism symbolizes, that we are called into this place to go and make disciples. So friends, as you sit here this morning, my prayer for you is that you would be bold for your faith. My prayer for you is that you would get excited about this text here that God gives us because every time I open it, I'm blown away by who God is. And I laugh a lot because there's some pretty great stuff in here too about who, how Jesus acts and how he interacts with humanity and with people. And so would you live for him as you go out? And may we have the opportunity to be a part of what God's doing as he changes the communities we're in and the places that we're at. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for... showing us that uh, we don't have to know everything, just like this demoniac, Lord. Uh, he had an encounter with you, and that was enough to go out and tell people who you were. Lord, would we um, not be content to be the people on the sidelines who, yeah, maybe we're the people who own the pigs or whatever it might be, that were more frustrated by the loss of the things not going their way than able to see what you were doing. So I pray that you would open our eyes around us. But Lord, I just pray that we'd be bold too. Lord, would we live out our faith? Would you use us, Lord, in the plan that you have? Would we be instruments for you? We give you today, Lord, and we are grateful for a chance to open your word and to worship together. Amen. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.